We are in week two of celebrating Advent. And so if you're not familiar what Advent is, Advent is the celebration of Jesus coming in humility, but it's also the anxious awaiting of Jesus coming in glory. And so as we lit the second candle of Advent in light of and in hope of in anticipation of Christmas Eve, really what these candles represent, it, it kind of represents as a light that is ever increasing, piercing into the darkness. It really is a picture of the gospel because Jesus is the light of the world. Now, now in our series of this year in Advent, we're talking about how Jesus is our ultimate hope, our ultimate peace, our ultimate joy, our ultimate love. And when we look around the world, we are constantly reminded that our world is broken. It is sinful. And in our brokenness, we're, we're constantly longing for a little bit of hope, a little bit of peace, a little bit of joy, a little bit of love. Like whether you're a Christian or not, all of us long for hope in a hopeless world. We long for peace in a world full of war. All of us want to experience a little bit of a joy in a world full of sadness. And we want to feel loved. We want to be loved in a world that is full of hate. And it seems like our desires and our longings for hope, peace, joy, and love seem to be amplified during the Advent season. Like if you listen to Christmas music like I do on the radio, have you noticed a common theme among most Christian uh, Christmas music on the radio? All of them talk about this is going to be the best Christmas ever. All of our problems are going to go away. Like I'll be home for Christmas and that's where we sit around the fire. We won't argue. We'll just conspire and talk about the good old days and I'll quit quoting more Christmas songs but it's this idea of this is the best year ever every problem you had will be gone for Christmas and then when Christmas arrives what happens we have been met with a load of disappointment because our desires for hope peace love and joy either seems to be out of reach well, we had it for a moment and now it is gone. And so in this season of Advent, really what we want to do is that even though the pursuit of these qualities are, are, are a good thing, they can only be fulfilled in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Uh, Paul tells us in, in Colossians 2 verse 17, he says, these are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. And so here, here's my hope for us in our series in this Advent season is that we will no longer chase after the shadow, but that we would look, behold, and be in awe of the substance. That we would see that our hope, our peace, our joy and love can only be found in Christ because he is our hope, he is our peace, he is our joy and our love. And so last week, Jared did a great job. We talked about Christ being our hope. And we said that Christ is our hope because he is the perfect king. He is the one who will transform and make all things new. And that we can put our hope in him because he'll never fail us. And the reason we know he'll never fail us is because he defeated two enemies that seemed invincible. He has already defeated sin and death. So put your hope in Christ. And so today we're going to talk about peace that Christ is our peace now now 
if we talk about peace, all of us, we long for peace. I don't think I've ever met anybody that doesn't long for peace. And the reason why we all long for peace is because when the world was created, when God spoke everything into existence, everything he made was good, holy, and perfect. The world was like the epitome of peace. God made everything to live in perfect harmony. Humanity and animals lived in perfect harmony, dwelt with one another with no fear of harm or mistreatment. Animals dwelt with one another with no desire for domination or attack. Adam and Eve dwelt with one another with no source of conflict or tension or even annoyances. Can you imagine that? And the relationship between God and man was perfect. Genesis 3 verse 8 tells us that God used to walk in the garden with Adam and Eve. This perfect, harmonious relationship, this intimate relationship that humanity had with God had no limitations, but sadly, this perfect peace that was experienced once would soon change forever. As the serpent entered into the garden, and tempted Adam and Eve to take from the forbidden tree, to believe the lie, to doubt God's goodness and God's faithfulness. And as a result, sin entered into the world, and with it came disorder, chaos, and destruction. And when God gave out the curses and says, here is the consequences of what you've done, we read in Genesis chapter 3, verse 14 to 19, this chaos, this brokenness that would exist. Instead of peace, now there will be hostility between the serpent and Eve's offspring. Instead of peace, now there would be enmity between Adam and Eve. Instead of peace and joy from the work that Adam experienced, now his work will be burdensome and toilsome. And they would go from living in perfect peace now to living in chaos, destruction, brokenness, and suffering because that's what sin does. It breaks the perfect peace between God and man because sin cannot coexist with the holy God or rather God cannot coexist with sin. And the lack of peace between God and man now created a lack of peace among humanity. You, you look in the Bible, it didn't take very long for the first murder to occur. I mean, Eve have boys, and what happens? They end up killing each other. All because of sin. And so one of the questions that humanity has been asking is how do we restore this peace? How do we obtain peace? peace like this has almost been the quest for humanity from the very beginning and all of us have different ideas of how to obtain and to restore the peace from peace treaties to signing something in law to creating more education or a different economical system from generation to generation, from rulers and kings coming and going, from governing authorities and governments, all promised peace. And yet, what were they unable to deliver? Peace. At least lasting peace. Maybe peace for a while. But after that, what happens? Chaos continues. Why? The reason why is because genuine peace cannot be accomplished if there's no peace between us and God. And for us to have peace with God, we need someone 
who can accomplish this peace by first of all satisfying God's wrath that was geared towards us and somehow restore and reconcile this relationship with God. And since we are unable to produce that someone, God and his faithfulness promises to give us that someone. And that's what we see in our text in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1. Let's look at Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1. It says this, Nevertheless, the gloom of the distressed land will not be like that of the former times when he humbled the land of Zebulon and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will bring honor to the way of the sea, to the land east of the Jordan and to Galilee of the nations. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. A light has dawned on those living in the land of darkness. You have enlarged the nation and increased its joy. The people have rejoiced before you as they rejoice at harvest time and as they rejoice when dividing spoils. For you have shattered the oppressive yoke and the rod on their shoulders, the staff of their oppressor, just as you did on the day of Midian. For every trampling boot of battle and the bloodied garments of war will be burned as fuel for the fire. For a child will be born for us, a son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. The dominion will be vast, and his prosperity will never end. He will reign on the throne of David over his kingdom to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now on and forever. The zeal of the Lord of armies will accomplish this. So, so, so what's happening in our text? The, the people of God are longing to be rescued. They're longing for peace. Because of their rebellion against God, because of their rejection of God's law, now they find themselves in captivity. The nations around them have invaded their territory and have enslaved and oppressed them. And they find themselves that once enjoyed the promised land that God has given them, a land of rest by His grace He's given them. Now, in a sense, it's taken away. And they look around and all they see is brokenness and destruction and unrest and yet we see the Lord is so faithful and his graciousness he 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 sends Isaiah to give them a word a promise that someone is going to rescue them someone who's going to restore this peace and we, we see his kindness and he, he uses this to encourage his people. And we find out this, this son will be born to us. And he's been given all these many names to define his character. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. And so since we are living after the first coming, we know that Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And so if you're taking notes, the very first thing we learn of the promise that God makes to his people is that he will send the Prince of Peace and Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And we see in verses four to seven, how is Jesus going to bring this peace? Well, we see that he's going to remove the burden of oppression given to them by their enemies and trade war for peace. He will take control of the government with kindness and humility, and he will administer justice 
and righteousness. He will establish an everlasting kingdom. And it will continue to prosper. Here's how we know that this peace will be everlasting. Because this peace will be tied to his reign. And how long will his reign endure? Forever. Now, we need to understand that in this text, the peace that God is promising his people was more than just a peace from oppressive rulers and authorities and nations, but rather the word peace in this passage means shalom. The idea of shalom is not just the absence of conflict in a negative sense, but also in a positive sense, it's also a blessing, particularly a blessing of enjoying a right relationship with God. You see, for us in our language, the idea of peace means the absence of conflict. But in the Hebrew language for shalom, not only did it mean the absence of conflict, but also enjoying the blessings of God. And the greatest blessing that we can receive from God is God himself. A right relationship with God. And when God promises to send us a son, and he names them among all the other names, the Prince of Peace, What he is promising is to send someone who will give us shalom, who will make our relationship with the Lord right. And part of our relationship with the Lord being made right also means now all the other areas will be infiltrated by this peace. And this is what the Lord will provide. Now, I find it interesting. So God promises his people I'm sending you the Prince of Peace. I'm sending somebody who is going to create the shalom, this right relationship with God. Now, let's fast forward to Luke chapter 2, verse 14, if you have your Bibles. And what I find really interesting is that when the angels of the Lord appeared to the shepherds and they gave them the good news, the good news of the promised child, the Prince of Peace that Isaiah uh, talked about, We see in Luke chapter 2, verse 14, how the angels praised the Lord. And look at what they said in Luke chapter 2, verse 14. After the angels deliver the news to the shepherds, they say this in Luke chapter 2, verse 14. Glory to God in the highest heaven... And peace on earth to people he favors. So so we learn if you're taking notes, not only is Jesus the prince of peace, but the second thing if you're taking notes is Jesus brings peace on earth. He brings peace on earth. Now for some of you, if you've read your Bibles, you're like, hey, Neil, time out here because isn't there a passage in the Bible where Jesus says, I did not come to bring peace but to divide and what's the context of it the context of what Jesus is saying is there are those who's going to believe in me and those who not and what's going to happen is there is going to be a division between those who believe in me and those who don't so why are we saying Jesus is bringing peace on earth well let's look at verse 14 again does he bring peace on earth to all people no what does it say what does the angel say he brings peace on earth To the people he favors. So now we got to talk about what does that mean? Notice that this peace 
is exclusive. This peace is not for everyone. This peace is for those whom God favors. And what makes this peace so exclusive is that this peace represents the peace between God and man. And so Jesus, who is our Prince of Peace, who will soon make a way for the wrath of God to be satisfied, to reconcile sinners to a holy God, to bring them into a right relationship with God and brings peace between the sinner and God. And who is this gift for? This gift is for everyone. But does everyone enjoy this peace? No. It is for those who receive this gift. It is for those who trust in Christ that have satisfied God's wrath on their behalf, that has paid for the penalty of their sin, that now can enjoy a right relationship with God, not because of anything that we have done or accomplished or even contributed, but rather solely on the work of Jesus Christ. And the reason why this peace is so exclusive is because it hinges on who Jesus is and what he has done as we receive this gift. By grace, through faith. And so as we even look at the world around us and we see that Jesus has already accomplished this peace by dying on the cross for us, we now look around us and what do we still see? Do we still see peace on this world? No, we see brokenness. Why? This is why the angels are proclaiming peace is not a reality for all, all people. Because in our world, there is still brokenness because sin prevents this peace on earth. And it prevents people from even contributing to this peace or being a conduit of this peace. And that's why disorder and chaos continues. And yet peace is only for those who trust in Christ. And the people who desire peace cannot know true peace or contribute to this peace without experiencing Christ who has dealt with their sins. And for us, as the people of God, do we have peace? Yes, because of the work of what Christ has accomplished for us. God's wrath has been satisfied. Our pet debt has been paid for our relationship with the Lord now has been reconciled we are at peace with God and it is a precious gift that's been given to us and it is all because of Christ and so even though we get to experience this peace now we'll get to experience the fullness of this peace when Christ returns and so we long for this experiencing of this fullness of this peace. And this why, when Jesus left his disciples, this is how he encouraged his disciples in John 14, verse 27. He says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I don't give you as the world gives. Don't let your hearts be troubled or fearful. In other words, what is Jesus saying? Peace I leave you. My peace I I give you. It's not an object that he gives, but rather it is himself that he gives. Before he left the disciples, what did he do? He gave himself to the disciples. And so this should encourage our hearts. Like Jesus brings peace to this world, to this earth, to the people of God. 
because he satisfied God's wrath. He paid for our debt, has reconciled our relationship. And the third and final truth that encourages our heart is that Jesus is our peace. He is our peace. Look at Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14. Paul says this. For he is our peace. In other words, Jesus is our peace who made both groups one and tore down the dividing wall of hostility in his flesh. He made of no effects the law consisting of commands and expressed in regulations so that he might create in himself one new man from the two resulting in peace. He did this so that he might reconcile both to God and one body through the cross by which he put the hostility to death. He came and proclaimed the good news of peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. And so what we've already established this morning is that the lack of peace is because of sin. Sin created this chasm between us and God, and it cannot be satisfied by our own doing. We cannot restore this. We need someone who can come and create this peace. And unable to produce that, God promised to send someone. He sent Jesus, who is the Prince of Peace, who brought peace on this earth for those who trust in him. And then Paul turns it around and says, he's not only the Prince of Peace, he not only brings peace on the earth, he is himself your peace. In other words, Christ and no other have solved the problem, have restored our relationship with God and man. And he draws men to God and teach others in his own person. It's not the message that Christ proclaimed that brings peace. It's not the message that we proclaim that brings peace. It is Christ himself. He is our peace. And I don't have time to exposit this text. But really what we see in this text, not only is he our peace. Because he has restored the relationship between us and God. But in a sense, he's also the peacemaker. Because our relationship with God has been fractured and destroyed, that means our relationship with one another is fractured and destroyed. And, and one of the greatest tensions that we've seen in the Bible time is this division between Jew and Gentile, this hatred that existed between Jew and Gentile. And what Paul is saying is because of our peace with Christ, he is our peace. We now are one man, both Jew and Gentile. He's taken the dividing wall and he has torn it in two. There's no more division that exists. In other words, in the temple court, there was a wall that did not allow non-Jewish people to enter through. In other words, you can experience God, but no, not any closer. And Paul says, that wall, gone. The veil, torn. Which means we have access as one. The ceremonial laws, the sacrificial system that separated the Jews from the Gentiles... Gone. Why? 
Because Christ is the ultimate sacrifice that the temple sacrifice pointed to. Christ is the ultimate one who cleansed us and washed us as white as snow. Because of Christ, we're in Christ. He's created a new man who've existed in Christ. Christ is in us. And because of that, now we have access to the Father in one spirit and so not only he is he our peace but he's also our peacemaker that means we can approach god we can enter into his presence we can bring our prayers and our requests and our burdens before him because we now have access to god and so and so here's here's the application for us like in this advent season If we've experienced this peace, the peace of Christ, he is our peace. The Prince of Peace that has come, that has brought peace between us and God and restored that relationship. Shouldn't that encourage our hearts? Shouldn't that cause us to to praise the Lord? Like when we find ourselves in a world of disarray, in a world of chaos and disorder, and we find ourselves in a world full of unrest, longing for peace, we can in this world endure it. Why? Because we have the peace of Christ. We can face the storms of this life without running around like the rest of the world with our heads cut off. Why? We have the peace of Christ. The ultimate peace has been accomplished. My relationship with the Lord has been reconciled and restored. There is no chasm that now divides me, that separates me from God. I can enter into his presence freely. I can find rest in him and peace in the midst of chaos. And even though I haven't fully experienced that peace, By faith, I trust that I have this peace in Christ and one day longing for the fullness of that peace to experience. So rejoice. Be encouraged. Do not be discouraged. Do not be disheartened as the world. Rest in the midst of chaos and disorder because you have the peace of Christ. Second application is if we've received the peace of Christ, if our relationship with the Lord has been restored, shouldn't that now cause us to have peace with one another? So why should we be peacemakers? Why should we constantly pursue peace with one another? Why should we bear with one another, put up with one another, seek reconciliation with one another, forgive one another, confront one another in love so that there can be reconciliation? Because we have to? No, because, well, technically we have to, but why? Because we have peace with Christ. Because I have peace with Christ, I can put up with you. Because we have peace with Christ, I can forgive you even though you've caused the great harm to me. I can bear with you. I can love you. I can seek reconciliation with you. Because of peace, but without peace with Christ, these things cannot happen. So if you struggle, which all of us do, 
if you struggle to bear with one another, if you struggle to forgive one another, if you struggle to confront one another in love saying, hey, you've sinned against me, hey, you've hurt me, hey, you've offended me, it starts with, do you fully realize the peace of Christ that you have? If you realize that, that in a sense is the springboard, the source of why you now can experience peace with one another. So not only be encouraged by the peace of Christ that you have, but now share this peace with one another. And the last uh, application is just a question. Do you have peace? Has your relationship with the Lord been reconciled? How do you view God? How do you view yourself? Do you have a hard time to believe that God accepts you and that God loves you? You feel like you walked in and the Lord's going to strike you down because you're unworthy? You feel like you have to perform or do something so that God can look at you and not be disappointed in you? That's not peace. That's chaos. That's destruction. That's disorder. But when we trust in Christ, when we have the peace of Christ, we now understand that God doesn't look at us based on our performance. God doesn't accept us because we're on that nice list. God doesn't say, man, you better step up. You're teetering on the naughty list. I need to get you over to. No. God looks at you based on what his son has done for you. Because who satisfied God's wrath that was geared towards you? Christ did. Who paid for your debt, for your sins in full, past, present, and future? Christ did. So when God looks at you, he doesn't see you in all of your imperfections. He sees you as perfect because you have the righteousness of Christ. Because you and Christ is one. God accepts you because of Christ's performance. And let me tell you what, his performance, perfect. Do you have that peace? Are you trusting in what Christ has done for you? Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you. for the promised peace, for sending us the Prince of Peace, for satisfying your wrath, paying our debt, and reconciling our relationship with you. Lord Jesus, thank you that you are our peace. Lord, help us to to realize this peace. Help us to marvel at this peace that we have received, even when we find ourselves in difficult circumstances, situations, in chaos, in the storms of life. That in the midst of the storm, we can rest because we have your peace. Help us not to forget the wonderful peace that you've given us. That peace is not found in Christmas on one single day, but it is found in you. And it is a lasting peace. And even though we don't fully realize this peace and understand this peace, we long for it when you come and make all things new. 
And Lord, you know those who are not at peace with you, those who've not trusted you. Lord, can you open up their eyes, their ears, their hearts? Can you help them to trust you, to look to you and not to themselves? I just want to give you some time before we get to sit at the table just to meditate. Like, are you at peace? Do you have the peace of Christ? Do you realize this wonderful gift that the Lord has given you? He's given himself to you to accomplish peace between you and God. And the question is, whether you're a believer or not, we all have tendencies to look away. Are we trusting in Christ for that peace? Are we looking to Christ for that peace? Or are we trying in our own efforts to accomplish that peace and to create that peace? I want to encourage you this morning, rest in Christ in the work that he's done for you. Look to him, for he is our peace. As we get ready to sit at the table, in the ancient Near East culture, to sit at the table was something precious. It symbolized peace, the breaking of the bread, the sharing of it is we are at peace. Let's come, let's feast, let's rest. And what this table symbolizes is that peace that Christ has created. That we can come, he invites us to come, to sit at his table. And the breaking of bread and the giving of the cup, we are reminded that we are at peace with God not because of what we have done, but because what Christ has done on our behalf. Because it's his body that we're giving to one another. It's his blood that we're giving to one another, that we're sharing, that we're eating and we're drinking and we're reminded this is the peace of Christ that we receive, that we've experienced because of what he has done. And that God accepts me and he invites me to sit at his table not as a guest, but as a son and a daughter. And what allows us at this table, it is his grace through the work of what Christ has accomplished. And we share in this table by faith. And so by you coming and by you receiving, that is an act of faith. You're saying by faith, I am receiving his body that was given to me, his blood that was shed for me. I am reminded of the precious gift that he has given me. Thank you, Lord Jesus. But if you don't receive this by faith, if you don't believe in these things, then this doesn't mean anything. And so rather than you taking things that don't mean anything for you, we ask just let it pass by. And maybe do some, do some soul searching. Like what's preventing you from trusting in Christ? Like what is that, 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 that mountain that you're trying to 
climb, and the reality of it is you cannot. What's your hope in? What's your peace in? Maybe ask those kind of questions. Ask the Lord to help you to trust Him. So let's go ahead and distribute these elements. And as we distribute these elements, let's just ask the Lord to help us to be reminded of the peace that we have in Him. What a wonderful reminder that Christ is our peace. And how did he accomplish peace for us? By giving his body. Eat in remembrance of him. He accomplished peace by shedding his blood for us that satisfied God's wrath and paid for our sins in full. Drink it in remembrance of him. Lord, thank you that you are our peace, that you have accomplished peace for us, that our relationship with God is reconciled and restored. Lord, help us to realize it. Help us to marvel at it. When we find ourselves discouraged, when we find ourselves restless, when we find ourselves not at peace, help us to be reminded of the peace that we have with you. And because of the peace that we have with you, Lord, we can now pursue peace with one another. And so, Lord, if there's any relationships that need to be reconciled, if there's any peace that needs to be pursued, can you convict us? Can you stir our hearts to pursue that? And we can do that all because of what you've done. Help us fix our eyes on you. We love you and we praise you. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and let's worship our Prince of Peace.